Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hi guys, I am Monica Crowley and welcome to the debut of the Monica Crowley podcast. This is our inaugural episode and I am so psyched to have you with me as we launch this show and go on this journey together. This podcast is going to be completely off the chain. It is going to be your go-to for hot liberty. It's going to be your place for the truth about what's actually going on. It will be a safe space for all of us thought criminals and independent thinkers. And it's also going to be a smart, fun place for all of us happy warriors. Because just as there is no crying in baseball, there is no crying on the Monica Crowley podcast. We are going to take on all of the issues that matter with a happy warrior spirit and a great sense of humor. So this is the place to come and hang out with me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, where you will get news and analysis you will not get anywhere else. Also, please follow the show on Instagram. We just set up a brand new Instagram account for the show. It's at Monica Crowley Podcast, at Monica Crowley Podcast on Instagram for news about what's coming up here, plus clips and links. Also, you can follow me on my personal Twitter, at Monica Crowley, and on my personal Instagram, at Monica Crowley underscore. Also, you guys can send me an email about the show, what you've heard, what you like, uh, what's on your mind, what you're thinking, all kinds of the, the topics that we discuss here. Also, what you're thinking about, what you would like for me to cover. You can send me an email and I may read it on the air. The email address is Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. So it's go time. You know what? I was, uh, this morning I was on with Steve Bannon on War Room and Bannon was saying, thank God you're doing this, Monica. I've been dying for you to do this for a very, very, very long time. And I took that as a huge compliment, of course. Um, and I should just say that, you know, this is a long time in coming because I've been approached over the years many times about doing a podcast. And in fact, uh, the first time I was approached, it was probably about five or six years ago when podcasting was just starting. And uh, I didn't really get it. <laughs> I didn't understand the whole concept. I was like, yeah, I don't think I have time for this. Um, and then over the years, more people came to me, more companies came to me and said, you should really do this. And I thought about it and I just never had the the real time to do it, to dedicate to it. But then this opportunity came up. And I thought now is not only the time, but it's also absolutely necessary for me to be doing this show because we are in an existential crisis for not just America, which is the greatest experiment in human liberty known to man, and it's hanging by a thread, but it's also the free world, which is hanging by a thread too. 
So the, the number of assaults coming at us, the number of uh, issues that we have to deal with to save not just America, but the Western world, Western civilization, our way of life, human freedom, really, uh, the time is getting very short. So when this opportunity came up, I said, yep, it's go time, let's go. So here we are. For those of you who are just getting to know me, I have had an extensive career in media, including on TV, Fox News, and Fox Business, of course, uh, where you can still see me all the time, but also NBC News, ABC News, uh, CNN, uh, back when it was semi-normal, <laughs> uh, which it no longer is, but I was all over CNN. Here's a fun fact. I played myself on an episode of 24 and an episode of House of Cards. And every once in a while, one of those episodes plays somewhere in the world, and I get a residual payment of, brace yourself, a buck 32, which under Biden inflation gets me about two grapes. Given all of my time in media and dealing with the propaganda press while at the Treasury Department, man, do I know how they operate. The lies, the agendas, the manipulation, the brazen activism. I'm going to spill the tea on the mainstream press, or what I call the propaganda press. I'm going to spill the tea on them throughout this show. You are not going to want to miss that because I'm going to tell you the truth about how they operate. I've also been blessed to have worked for two American presidents, at the start of my career, I worked with former President Richard Nixon during the last years of his life, and that was an extraordinary honor and adventure for me. And as we move through this show, I'm going to share some incredible stories about President Nixon, about my time with him, including really juicy stories about heads of state, past American presidents like JFK and Lyndon Johnson and Ronald Reagan. Plus, lessons that I learned from President Nixon that apply today, right now, to what's going on. There's probably no more visionary American president than Richard Nixon. And by visionary, I mean he was one of the rare presidents who could actually see what the world was going to look like 20, 30 years down the road and make American policy in that moment to anticipate that future. He could see it. And we're going to talk about all of it because that experience with him was extraordinary. I learned so much and I'm going to share that with you. Then more recently, of course, I worked for President Trump when I served as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for the last two years of the Trump administration. That too was an honor and adventure of a lifetime. And I've got a ton of stories to share about that, including about the pandemic and and what was going on during that period of time. Unbelievable stuff. So Richard Nixon and Donald Trump. No boring presidents for Monica, okay? Only the most controversial. No Grover Cleveland's up in here. Those experiences with those two leaders who certainly uh, were controversial, but one of the biggest reasons why they were controversial is because both of them went to war with the deep state. And that informs how I think about America and our place in the world and how we're going to have to uh, really mobilize even more so than we already are to save our exceptional country before it gets swallowed up whole by the left and by what I call the Schwabies. Who are the Schwabies? The Schwabies are the communist disciples of Klaus Schwab, who heads up the World Economic Forum. They run Davos, but they are the leaders of the Great Reset. And for people who talk about, well, the Great Reset is a conspiracy theory. No, actually, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum literally wrote a book, literally called the Great Reset. It's sort of like when you go back in history uh, and you look at the world's worst tyrants, they always tell you what they're about and what they intend to do. Always. 
it's almost like a, a psychological compulsion by them to tell you exactly who they are and what they intend to do. So Hitler had Mein Kampf. He wrote it in prison. It was all there. The world conquest, the genocide of the Jews, it was all there. And whether it's Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot or uh, Chairman Mao, they all put it out there. They write it down. They tell you who they are and what they they intend to do. So none of this should be coming as a, a big mystery to us, but we need to be a lot more equipped and prepared for what is coming at us because the Great Reset is already well underway. The Great Reset is this massive and global overhaul of politics, economics, and culture. The reason it's so dangerous is because it's it's essentially a rebranding of communism. This is Marxism under a different name. Just as here, equity, social justice, uh, all of these agendas that are flying at us, those are communism rebranded as well. ESG, which is the big corporate thing on environmentalism, that is Marxism rebranded. Equity, communism rebranded. So they're putting it in a prettier package to get you to accept it. And thanks to the pandemic, we have all been conditioned to comply. We're going to talk a lot about this on this program, okay, Um, and how to fight back. I have had a pretty unique experience in being the only one, as far as I know, who's worked for both Nixon and Trump, two men who stood up against the deep state, who stood up against the communist movement, who stood up against the termites that have long sought the destruction of the country from within. And that's why I'm going to give you a complete, completely unique take on all of the crazy stuff going on. You're not going to get this view anywhere else. And that's why you're here. And that's why I'm so thankful to have you with me. We're also going to have a lot of fun here too, because um, while evil looks like it's ascendant, we're all going to stand together in this battle. We are going to fight side by side, and we're going to have a lot of fun while we're doing it. Because we know the darkness never lasts forever. The light always comes through, and God wins. Okay, when we come back, we're going to dive right in, and I am going to give you my very first Monica memo. Back in a flash. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double And the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys. And you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. So for my first MONICA memo, uh, I was going to start with some very big points uh, that are going to frame everything we talk about on this show. And I will get to that. 
But instead, today, I want to start with what happened at the Academy Awards last night. Because in many ways, it was the perfect frame for the bigger points and the much larger context of all of the crazy stuff coming at us right now. So every year, and I know some of you are going to roll your eyes at this, but every year I watch the Academy Awards. And I usually start with E!, because I am a fashion fanatic, and, uh, and I like to see the dresses. I like to watch what styles are coming down the red carpet. I like to see the hair and the makeup. I'm a glamour girl. Come on. I love the glamour. So I watch it. I understand it's Hollywood. I understand it's the radical left, all the stuff we're fighting against. I get it. But there's also something to be said for understanding where the culture makers are at any given moment, right? Because you got to know where they stand and what they're talking about and and where they are if you're going to defeat them, if you're going to fight back. So yeah, I roll my eyes at the politics and I, and I, I always think every year when someone blurts out something that's anti-conservative or, or pro-liberal, pro-communist, whatever it might be, I always think to myself, they can't not do it right? They can't not do it. Um, and they, they try, like you can see them, they're, they're trying to restrain themselves because they have been told by the broadcasters, by their agents, whomever, don't go down this road, half of America or more will hate you, don't do it. And yet every show, there's at least one that comes out and says it, and of course they can't not do it, right? And last night, by the way, it was Amy Schumer, uh, Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes, who di- who hosted the show, and I think they did a great job. Um, for the most part, they were very funny. But in the opening monologue, they had to attack Florida's parental rights bill, which the left has tagged as the don't say gay bill, which it has nothing to do with anything related to that phrase, but they don't care about the truth. And of course, the the three comedians had to ruin their opening monologue by going, oh, and one last thing, gay, 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 gay which, of course, again, has nothing to do with what has actually happened in Florida uh, and the governor, Ron DeSantis, standing up for parents and parental rights and transparency in schools. So this is what I mean. They, they can't not do it, right? So anyway, apart from that, I like to see where the people driving the culture are because it gives you guideposts as we go through the discussion and, and the culture wars the people at the very top, the elites in Hollywood who go to the Academy Awards, who speak and accept and present, they're all part of what we're up against here. They're on the leading edge. So, you know, they all try to be, they try to be edgy. But you know what would be really edgy? If one of them got up and championed America, American values, faith, family, the flag. Now that would really be punk rock, right? But of course they'd never, never, they'd lose their careers. They'd never work again. So we can forget about that. But that is actually punk rock. That now, being a conservative, being America first, as we are here on this program, uh, being a populist, understanding that the split is not between Uh, left and right per se, or red versus blue. But the actual more meaningful split is between the elite ruling class, like you saw at the Academy Awards, and everybody else, the rest of us. That's the real split. So to be really punk rock, you'd be on the rebel side, us deplorables, us thought criminals. So you'll never get that from Hollywood, but you know, if one of them really wanted to walk on the wild side, that's what they should do. Embrace us. Anyway, so last night I am watching the Oscars, and uh, at one point I crawled into bed and I was thinking about the show today, this program, and how we were going to structure it, what I was going to say. And I had the volume like low, but I could still hear the show. And then all of a sudden there was no more volume, and I look up and I see Chris Rock on stage. Chris Rock, who I like a lot, I think he's very funny, he's very, very talented. Um, and the, the audio cuts out and I'm watching like Will Smith 
jump out of his seat and approach Chris Rock on stage. And then it looks like Will Smith takes a swing at Chris Rock. And I'm thinking, why can't I hear this? They must be swearing. Um, And that's why the audio cut out. Or maybe something's wrong with my TV. So I see him swearing, but I can hear him. And the audio is out for a while. And now I really do think it's my TV. But while I'm watching all of this, I'm thinking, wow, what a set piece. <laughs> this, is, this is really something. They have Will Smith, the biggest movie star, jump on stage. Looks like he's hitting Chris Rock. This is a great set piece. I'm thinking that all of this is staged. This is a bit. They're trying to goose their ratings. Everybody thought it was staged. Why? This is the biggest question, right? Or, or one of the many points that I want to bring up about this whole episode because it, it has a lot more to do with where we are in our cultural rot um, than just the history between Chris Rock and the joke he made about uh, Will Smith's wife. Why did we all think it was staged? One of the biggest reasons why I think Because we are so programmed to be programmed. That is a really critical point. Let me say it again. We are all so programmed to be programmed. So we think, we're conditioned now to think that we're being spoon-fed lies, artifice, pretend, False flags. Now, it's Hollywood, so everything is artifice. Everything is image. So that was sort of built into what happened last night. But think about this. Almost everything we hear from official channels is a lie, whether it's from government or from, and we're going to get into this later, or your public health officials or the military-industrial complex, certainly from the media. Everything we're getting is a diet of lies, artifice, uh, pretend, uh, pretend structures, false flags. We are so programmed to be programmed that we immediately thought, well, this is staged. Think about that point because it's a really, really important one. Here's what actually went down between Chris Rock, who made a joke about Will Smith's wife, who, by the way, suffers from alopecia, which is extreme hair loss. So she keeps her hair very close cropped to her head. Um, And then Chris Rock made a joke uh, that was in reference to her, like, inherent baldness. Here's what went down. (laughs) Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh Uh-oh. Richard. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Wow, dude. It was a G.I. Jane joke. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> oh, okay. That was a greatest night in the history of television. Okay, so that was the uncensored exchange between Will Smith and, and Chris Rock. That was from Japanese TV that didn't blot out all of the profanity. Here's the thing. So Will Smith was actually caught laughing at the joke for a couple of seconds until he looked over at his wife, who looked like she had just sucked a lemon. Okay, Jada Pinkett Smith was not amused. She rolled her eyes and then she pursed her lips. Will Smith then looks over at his wife and he saw that she was pissed. That's when he reacted. His initial reaction was, this is funny. And then he looked over at the wife and thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to sleep on the couch or maybe outside (laughs) under the stars tonight if I don't react somehow or deal with this. 
So he reacted like he's going to go defend his wife's honor. Well, okay, but there is a reason the phrase take it outside exists. Take it outside. If you've got a conflict that might get physical, you take it outside. You deal with it between the two of you, hopefully without violence, and nobody is condoning the violence that we saw on stage last night. But if you think you're coming to blows, or if your rage is bubbling up, you control yourself. And you do not throw the first punch. And you certainly don't do it on live national television. You know, Frank Sinatra gave some good beatdowns in his life, but he did it either because he was getting paid and it was part of a script, or he did it in private, or he hired someone to to do it. He took it outside. He took it outside. But that's not what happened last night. Now, Will Smith did apologize to the Academy when he won for Best Actor. Um, He... So, I mean, a crazy night, right? Biggest night of his life, and now he's known for not the award and his work, but for what for the punch that he threw at Chris Rock. So he gets up, and he apologized to the Academy and the audience, but he did not apologize to Chris Rock or his wife or his family. Here he is. I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Um... This is a beautiful moment, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crying for winning a, an award. It's not, it's not about winning an award for me. It's about being able to shine light on all of the people, Tim and, and Trevor and Zach and Sanaya and Demi and Ingenue and the entire cast and crew of King Richard and Venus and Serena, the the entire Williams family. Um, Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said. (laughs) I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. You know, Bradley Cooper and uh, Denzel Washington also approached him afterwards to, quote, comfort him. Comfort him? I'm sorry. He's the one that created the scene and assaulted someone on national television. I don't think he needed to be consoled and comforted. I think Chris Rock deserved to be consoled and comforted. And by the way, Chris Rock is the one who deserved the apology. So did uh, Will Smith's wife, and so did his family. It was all crazy. But I want to make one other big point about this, because it it really gets to uh, what happened last night and our deeper cultural rot. Our cultural rot has long dictated safe spaces, right? I mean, it started on college campuses, It's gone wild, uh, but now every place is a college campus. You know, all this stuff about all these restrictions on free speech and what you can and cannot say and what you can and cannot do, all of that originated on college campuses, but every place in America now is a college campus. So safe spaces are now everywhere. But everybody now, because of this, is so conditioned to have safe spaces that when life happens, we can't handle it. Life is, it was famously described by Thomas Hobbes as nasty, brutish, and short. Nasty, brutish, and short. Well, it's also rude because we're dealing with human beings. And human beings are emotional and volatile. And sometimes they react in ways you wouldn't expect, in ways that are not appropriate. Safe spaces, that whole philosophy, all of that pretends like that's not reality. Right? That that's not life. Safe spaces is uh, talking about artifice. Hollywood creates an artifice, but so does the idea of safe spaces. It's an artificial bubble 
that they created and that they've conditioned people to expect that all of life is like that. And it's not. So for everyone coddled by safe spaces, and no one is more coddled than highly paid Hollywood actors, they can't deal with life like a normal person when normal life happens. People react, they respond. Road rage, that's what that, that is too. This is life. Will Smith had his fuse lit when he saw how pissed his wife was and he reacted. There was no self-control there. He should have uh, tapped into his self-control, had some self-discipline. But he was thrown out of his safe space and he blew a gasket and he, ins- he assaulted someone on live national television. This is a symptom of our cultural rot. It wasn't just that moment. He reacted in the moment, but people are not acting in a vacuum. Everybody is responding to all of the cultural, economic, and political cues that are constantly coming at us. And that's that's what gave rise to what Will Smith did in front of everybody. You can call it the ultimate bad manners, ultimate bad behavior, and it was that. But again, these moments do not happen in a vacuum. By the way, one final point about this. If any one of us did that, we would be fired on the spot. On the spot. You would have gotten an email or a call from your boss literally at, what, 11 o'clock at night, saying, don't bother coming in. We will ship your desk stuff to you. You cannot go around assaulting people. I mean, that's just basic. We all would have been fired. But Will Smith apologized to the Academy, not to the person he hit. And he gets to not only keep his job, actually, his agent is probably psyched today, because now he can ask for even more money for Will Smith. He makes, what, $20 million a, a picture? Now, given this, looks like he'll be able to make a ton more. Not only does he get to keep his job and get rewarded for it, but he got the ultimate reward last night when he won an Academy Award as Best Actor. Again, the incentives in the society for rewarding bad behavior are just off-the-hook crazy. This is another symptom of our, our cultural rot. This also points to one other big point about the, the, this whole narrative. It's not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. This is why Will Smith gets to not only keep his job and probably his Oscar. It's, it's about hierarchy. It's about the elite ruling class. It's not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. This is why when we look at Mrs. Clinton, who we will, we will talk a lot about on this program, um, or her campaign, or Barack Obama, or any of these left-wing criminals, why are they still walking around? Well, we've got a two-tiered justice system in this country, don't we? Two tiers. We've got two sets of standards. So if you're in the elite ruling class, you can literally get away with anything. But if you're not, if you're one of us, you're a thought criminal, an independent thinker, oh, God forbid if you're pro-Trump, then there's a whole other set of standards that apply to us. A healthy society cannot go on like this for long. This is why we are collapsing from within, And this is a big reason why I decided for this moment to begin this podcast. All right, much more when we come back. Sit tight. I want to turn to the hair-sniffing invalid, also known as the 46th president of the United States. And I use the word president very loosely. Uh, but we have to deal with him. I mean, we got to deal with him every day. We have no choice. But I want to deal with him in the context of a rolling constitutional crisis. 
because this is what we have. We've got a slow-moving, soft constitutional crisis going on, and it is extremely serious. It's as serious as a heart attack, and we got to deal in reality here, okay? Not the artifice that we're talking about with Hollywood and crazy safe spaces, Um, but the President of the United States is enjoying the privilege of the powerful, Just as Will Smith is going to walk after assaulting Chris Rock on national TV, it is the privilege of the powerful. So when the left, the communists, talk to you about white privilege and all of that, they try to racialize everything. No, what is at base here, what defines everything, is the privilege of the powerful. Whether it's uh, Joe Biden, the deep state, the permanent bureaucracy, the media, or the Schwabies, Uh, of the World Economic Forum instituting their Great Reset. This is the privilege of the powerful. And so Joe Biden, because he's got the privilege of the powerful, can sit in the White House totally senile and still be protected as the quote-unquote president of the United States. The reason we are in an extremely dangerous time is because the president of the United States does not know what planet he's on, and the vice president of the United States is in a perpetual state of nervous breakdown. So those two are supposed to be running the country and, frankly, running the free world. God help us. But on top of that, the number three person in line is the Speaker of the House who has that... uh, dyskinesia problem or something. I mean, she's got all kinds of issues. She's ancient, and the rumor is that, uh, you know, she likes to take a pop or two or ten of booze during the day. Nancy Pelosi has brought back the three-martini lunch, which everybody thought went away with Ted Kennedy, but not so much. Pelosi's brought it back. She goes up there and she's slurring her words because she's drunk, and then Joe Biden is slurring his words because he's senile. And then the vice president is slurring her words because she's always having a nervous breakdown because she knows she's in way, way over her head and is not equipped for this job. So our top three leaders, America, are senile, nervous breakdown, and drunk. I mean, it's amazing that this country is still on its feet. I mean, barely. We're under assault from every quarter. But it is, it's astonishing to me that we're still run, up and running. It's a testament to the resilience of the country, for sure, and the resilience of us normals who are out here keeping the country going. Truck drivers, first responders, uh, teachers, people who are out there making the country run every day. That's why. It's us, not them. So let's talk about the senile hair-sniffing invalid, shall we? Because it's one thing for it's one thing for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to make a hash of things that are related to our domestic politics and domestic policy, right? It's one thing for them to make a hash of things happening here at home. It's another thing entirely for the hair-sniffing invalid to make a hash of things when he is on foreign soil. Because when he makes a hash of things on foreign soil, it involves war and peace and life and death. And yet he can't help it because he's senile. So over the last couple of days, he has been abroad, and he has made a couple of major, major mistakes. And again, these are mistakes that involve life and death, war and peace. So the first thing he said that came flying out of his mouth, because senile people have no filter, so because he's got dementia, which they try to control, um, he still has no filter. So things fly out of his mouth, and then the White House has to clean up uh, yet another mess on aisle four. Here is Joe Biden telling the 82nd Airborne what they will see in Ukraine, quote, when you're there. Roll it. Ukrainian people have a lot of backbone. They have a lot of guts. And I'm sure you're observing it. And I don't mean just the military, which is we've been trained in since back when they, uh, Russia moved into 
uh, in, in the southeast, southeast um, Ukraine, but also the average citizen. Look at how they're stepping up. Look at how they're stepping up. And you're going to see when you're there, some of you have been there, you're going to see, you're going to see women, young people standing, standing in the middle of the front of a damn tank. Keep in mind that the members of the 82nd Airborne, as with any member of the U.S. military, takes a, an oath, they swear, to put their lives on the line, to sacrifice themselves for America, for all of us. So when the commander-in-chief says uh, to, to any soldier or airman or marine, you're going into uh, combat, you're going to go into a combat zone, they go willingly. They signed up for it. It's voluntary. They go. Joe Biden and his administration have said to all of us that we're not getting involved in the actual conflict in Ukraine. We might supply some weapons. We will definitely fortify NATO but we're not going to have any troops on the ground. Then you've got the commander-in-chief telling the 82nd that they're going to go to Ukraine, and here's what you're going to see. Unbelievable. Then he's asked about Putin's potential use of chemical weapons. And Joe Biden blurts out, uh, well, if Putin were to use weapons of mass destruction, including chemical weapons, we would respond in kind. So does that mean that the United States policy now is to use chemical weapons against Russian troops? Is that what that means? I thought we were not supposed to be involved in this beyond giving some uh, material support to the Ukrainians because this is their fight, not ours. Uh, Then Joe Biden goes out and says, we'll respond in kind with chemical weapons or some other weapons of mass destruction. It is... It is literally mental illness, but the biggest one of them all is when Joe Biden called for regime change in Russia. Roll it. Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia, for free people refused to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principles, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities, for God's sake. This man cannot remain power. So there is the hair-sniffing invalid talking about uh, how he would like to see regime change in Russia. Keep in mind that Russia is a nuclear-armed country. And Vladimir Putin is a very, very powerful global leader. It is astonishing to me how not just Biden and his team, but the entire West seems to be treating Vladimir Putin like he is some two-bit um, uh, tin-pot dictator like a Gaddafi or a Ceausescu. Let me tell you something. Vladimir Putin is not that. And Vladimir Putin has no intention of ending up like those tin-pot dictators meaning with a bayonet up his ass hanging in Red Square. Has anybody, anybody, Bueller, Bueller, anyone? Bueller, Bueller. Thought about the end game here. All of these imbecilic Western leaders, including Joe Biden, so casually call for regime change, whether it's Libya or Russia, they casually call for regime change without any regard whatsoever for the possibility that what replaces the tyrant could be worse. Not better, not some Jeffersonian democracy popping up in Moscow, but could be worse, as in a lot worse. No regard for that. The alternative, though, is that actually they have thought about that and they welcome that outcome. They'd like to see someone replace Putin who's worse. Why? Because the military-industrial complex constantly needs to be fed. It's got to keep itself going. They were starving during the Trump years. Why? Because during the Trump years, no new wars. For four years, no new wars. 
But there's another reason too. These politicians love constant war, not just to feed the war machine, but because it provides a handy political distraction, a distraction from all of the damage that they are doing every day to destroy this country and destroy the West. That's what's really going on here. All right, going to hit a quick break, back in a flash. Well, here we go. So it does definitely look like the uh, invalid in the White House is desperate uh, for World War III. I mean, they keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Again, for all of the reasons that I laid out, which is that they want to feed the military-industrial complex. They want the political distraction of this. They want to get back to what the, the powerful know as normal, right? So Trump was this massive disruption. Trump put America first. Now we're back to America last. Trump had no new wars because he had strong American leadership. Well, now we've got incredibly weak American leadership and we've got conflict busting out all over. I have to say, um, you know, America's weakness is always provocative, So when you're seeing the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which they're desperately trying to internationalize, right? And I know Russia's a nuclear power, so there's that element to it. But this is basically an intra-Slav, Slavic, intra-Slav conflict that they're desperately trying to internationalize. Uh, Certainly Zelensky is trying to do that, and he's got help from the West, like Biden and Macron and and, uh, all Western leaders. But you've got that conflict blowing up. You've got North Korea getting ready to test yet another nuclear capability. You've got China well on the march, definitely eyeing Taiwan, which if you think the Russia-Ukraine situation is bad, just wait. Just wait. Because eastern Ukraine was the hors d'oeuvre. All of Ukraine is the appetizer. And Taiwan is the main course. So you've got China emboldened. They're teeing themselves up to probably move on Ukraine. They have weaponized and militarized all kinds of islands in the South China Sea. So they're getting ready to go because now they've established all these new forward bases in the Pacific Rim. North Korea, Iran, ready to to, uh, go down the road of a great new nuclear deal for them, catastrophic for the rest of us. Iran with a nuclear weapon is going to just blow every, literally blow everything off the map. It's going to shatter the stability in the Middle East that Donald Trump so painstakingly built. And it's going to shatter global stability as well when Iran gets a nuclear weapon, which we and the Russians working together are helping to deliver. So you've got Russia, you've got the Ukraine situation, you've got Iran, North Korea, China, you name it. You've got Hezbollah on the march. You've got ISIS, Al-Qaeda. They're all emboldened. And you know what? I can't blame them one bit. I don't blame them at all. If you're them, you're seeking to advance your own interests, whether it's national interests, transnational interests in the, uh, the form of the World Economic Forum, the transhumanism, transnational stuff that they've got going on, which is straight up evil. Or you're, you've got a, you're sitting atop a terrorist state or you're sitting atop a terrorist organization. Why wouldn't you take this moment to advance your interests? Of course you're going to. There's no leadership in the free world. The American president is out to lunch and there's no one really around him who believes anything different, frankly. So you know the United States is not going to move to try to stop you. And the rest of the West, forget it. You're talking about craven cowards in the West. Macron, Schultz in Germany now. You think any of them are going to lift a finger? Boris Johnson? I mean, come on. We have no Winston Churchills on the scene. Zero. So if you're an enemy of the West, you're an enemy of the United States, of course you're going to seize this moment. You'd be stupid not to. 
America's weakness is provocative, and the problem here is that the rest of us are going to suffer. Whether it's an attack on the homeland, an attack on our interests, we're already paying the price. Our economy is falling apart. We're getting threats like crazy. And all of this, by the way, coupled with a wide open southern border, God knows what kinds of actual physical threats are coming across that border. We are in a very difficult moment. And all of the rot that we talked about on this inaugural show, it's all of a piece. It's all working together. So what you saw at the Oscars last night, what you're seeing in Russia, Ukraine, what you're seeing in the Pacific Rim, what you're seeing at the gas station and the grocery store with skyrocketing inflation, all of it is of a piece. It's all moving parts that are all moving together to achieve a much bigger goal that involves the stripping away of freedom. All of this we are going to continue to cover on this show as we go forward, and I'm so happy that you're with me. Thank you so much. Remember that you can download the Monica Crowley podcast on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, you name it, the show is up here. So please go and and make sure you subscribe. Tell all your friends, all of your family about this fantastic new show, the Monica Crowley podcast. Also on social media, we set up a brand new Instagram for the show where you can get news about this show and hear clips and so on. That is at Monica Crowley podcast on Instagram, at Monica Crowley Podcast. Plus on Twitter, my personal Twitter, at Monica Crowley, and my personal Instagram, at Monica Crowley underscore. Also, don't forget to email me. We've got a special email address, so you can shoot us an email. Tell us what you love about the show, what you don't like about the show, what's on your mind, what you'd like to hear me cover. That email address is Monica Crowley Podcast, all one word, no dots, no dashes, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, so thank you so much for joining me on our debut show. I'm psyched to have you with me. I'm psyched to go forward here. We're going to save America and the West together. I will see you on Wednesday. Have a great day.